What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life, featuring the exposit story preaching of Dr. John Katzian. Baldhead Bible Podcast is committed to keeping our show free to the public. However, as with everything, there are expenses involved, so if you would like to contribute, head on over to patreon.com, that's patreon.com forward slash baldhead bible, and there you can become a supporting member for as low as $1 a month. While there, please check out some of the bonus material available only to our BHBP supporters. And some of that material includes Bible study guides to help you use the podcast to minister to your children, to minister in a Sunday school class, and to have some quality family devotions. David has been king. He lost the throne. He gained the throne back. And now he's coming near the end of his life. And here in 2 Samuel chapter 23, we we hear these are the last words of David. Now when it says that, it's not saying that these are the actual last words ever spoken because more comes after this chapter. And clearly he talks again in 2 Samuel 24 and in parts of 1 Kings. So so what does that mean? You know, these are the last words of David. Well, essentially what the author is saying is these are the last oracles of David. These are the last words from God because what David gives when it says these are the last words of David is a poem. And it's a short poem. And here once again David as he's ending his life begins his description of the end by talking about his God. No matter how much he fails and falls flat on his face, again and again he comes back to this. I am a Yahweh loyalist. I am loyal to my one true God and no other God. Man, I wish I was that sort of heart. I wish I had that sort of heart, you know, and I hope I have that sort of heart. But David could follow Baal. He could follow Ashtaroth. He could follow any other type of pagan god. But no, he says, I'm a Yahweh loyalist. I am going to follow my God and my God alone. And that's why it says in the Bible that David is a man after God's own heart. So he begins his last days here by saying, here is a poem. I'm going to begin my last days. And here are my last words. Here is my last great oracle. And he gives a psalm. And he just talks about how God has made him and how God has taken care of him. And he calls himself the sweet psalmist of Israel. I love that phrase. He is a man who can fight and take down men in bloody battle. But then he can also turn around and write poetry of the finest order. And in this poem, he talks about how how the Spirit of the Lord speaks through him. 
and, and how he is an oracle for Israel. And God speaks through David to all of Israel to give him, to, go, to give through David his message to Israel. And then it also says that Jehovah, Yahweh, is the rock of Israel. I mean, what a great way to describe your God. He's the rock of Israel. He's, he's that rock, you know, that gave us water out of the rock there while we wandered in the desert. He's the rock that we go to for hiding when we're afraid. He's, he's the rock. He's our stronghold. And then he says, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light. Man, I hope and pray our leaders take notice of that and are aware of that. If you want to be a great leader, you've got to rule in the fear of God. And when you do that, you are going to dawn like the morning light. So David's last words are simply this. Be a man after God's own heart. Listen to the rock of Israel. Because he's all you got. And then the rest of chapter 23, you know, you start with this profound, beautiful poem about who God is and the majesty and the glory and the greatness of our God. And then he says, you know what, how that was translated? Let me tell you about my mighty men. And then he tells story after story of some of the men who fought with him. Now, First Chronicles is very similar in content here to Second Samuel, and it lays out the history of David and some of his exploits. Well, they have the same list, but it's interesting. The chronicler in First Chronicles takes this list and puts it at the beginning of David's exploits. The chronicler wants the reader to know these men, these mighty men of renown, helped David accomplish all that he did. They helped David while he was on the run from Saul. They helped David fight Saul. They helped David when he was kicked out by Absalom's son. They helped David bring it all back. These are the mighty men who throughout David's reign and who throughout David's struggle and rise to power, they were there. And man, their exploits here are really cool to read. He basically breaks them down into the top three. He says, I have mighty men, but here are my top three mighty men. Can you imagine being in that list? I mean, this is the top of the top. This is the top class. These three were the best, David says. And then he has a second class, another three. And that's amazing to be in that second class. And then from there, he has the rest of his honored men, if you want to call them the 30. You know? So he has 30 honored men who, again, to be in that 30 would be an honor beyond honor. But then there's a class above them, which he has a special three. And then above them are the elite troops, the greatest three of them all. Can you imagine being in that group? 
You are renowned beyond renowned to be in that top three. And who were those top, top three? Well, the first was Joseph Bashabeth, a Tekemanite. He was chief of the three. He was the best of the best of the best of the best. He was the best in Mario Smash Brothers. He's the fighter you pick to fight every single time. Because I can't lose when I've got Kirby. Well, David knew when I have Joe Sheb fighting for me, I am going to win. He was the chief of the three, the captain. And again, it doesn't really tell a lot of the exploits, but it does tell one. It says he wielded his spear against eight Hundred men. Eight hundred. Now in the book of Chronicles it says he fought three hundred. And some people think it was a scribal error between the two books, and most people go with three hundred. That seems more reasonable, you know, for one man to take out three hundred. But I like the eight hundred. Can you imagine with a spear taking out eight hundred? That's just so cool. 300 is really cool as well. And I guess most commentators say that's more realistic. But man, I think, why not the 800? I guess the the number there, the number for 8, is very similar to the number for 3. So it's an easy mistake, I guess, to be made. But still, I'm like, man, 800. Can you imagine him spinning that spear? Killing 100 with one blow. And then God comes along and uses his ability through Joseph to knock out another 50. And they're coming on top of him and piling on top of him. And they think they've got him, and then all of a sudden, he bursts through the top. Shatters 50. This is, this is just cool. 800 or 300, either way, this man is amazing to be able to take on that many by himself. And then... Next to him of the top three comes Eliezer, son of Dodo, son of Ahohai. I just think it's cool he's son of Dodo. Eliezer is his name, though. And it says he was with David when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle. And basically, all the Israelites left him except for David and Eliezer. And he stood strong. And he kept fighting, and he kept fighting until his hand clung to the sword. He was so exhausted. Him and David fighting, I can imagine, back to back. I've got your back, David. I've got yours, Eliezer. They're fighting until his arm was weak, and his hand was so strongly gripping the sword that they had to peel his fingers off one by one. And then the third... The bronze medalist was Shama, who defended a plot of ground full of lentils. Now, you're probably thinking like me, what in the world is a lentil? A lentil is basically a bean. The official term is a legume, but it's a major food crop. And basically, you eat lentils and you can cook lentils in soup, and you can crush them up. It was a major source of food, and here, Shama standing there in this plot of ground full of lentils, and all the army of Israel fled, except for Shama. 
And he stood in this ground of lentils and he says, no, this belongs to my people. This belongs to my God. And it says there in 2 Samuel 23, he took his stand in the midst of the plot and defended it. And I can imagine again, they come at him from all sides. And the only one left is Shammah. And he defends it from all attacks. All of Israel was with him. And then when they saw all the Philistines, they fled and they ran away, except for Shammah. I think he stood there and he said, you know, if my God is real, I'm here for my country. I'm here for David. I am going to stand tall and true. And God gave him the victory against, we don't know how many, but probably hundreds and hundreds of Philistines. And he stood tall. Everyone else deserted. Everyone else left except for Shammah. And I just think, man, wouldn't that be great if you stood tall for God when everybody else deserted you? And maybe it might come to that someday. You're the only kid at school who won't do what everybody else is doing because you know it's sinful and you know you shouldn't. And all the Christians are doing it, but all the other Christian kids, all the other kids who call themselves Christian are doing it, but you don't. Why? Because you remember Shama, who stood still and stood tall when everybody else left. Maybe you're the only person at work who won't cave to some new demand because you know it's unbiblical and you know it's wrong. Or maybe your boss wants you to cheat. Just sign this paper and look the other way. Just let this happen. And no. You say, I'm going to stand tall. I'm going to stand strong. I'm not going to give in to this. I'm going to stand true to my biblical beliefs. But then everybody else who calls themselves a Christian at work mocks you and makes fun of you. I think of Daniel, who would not stop praying, even though the king said, you can't pray to another god. And I think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who would not bow to the idol the king had made, and instead they get thrown into the furnace. They stood tall. They stood right. So did Shama, And he fought with all his strength and with all his might. And it says the Lord gave him a great victory. So those were the top three. We have Joshebeth, number one of the three. Next, we have Eleazar, son of Dodo, number two, the silver medalist. Then we have Shammah, the son of Agi, the Hararite, who stood and defended that lentil plot. Well, one day, David was in the cave of Adullam. And the cave of Adullam is about 12 miles southwest of Bethlehem. And the Bible calls it his stronghold. And it might have been a cave or multiple caves. It was in this region where David would often hide out and take refuge. And so this was either running from Saul or, or fighting Saul. We don't know exactly when this took place. We do know at this point that the Philistines held Bethlehem. And it says that there was a, a band of Philistines encamped in the valley of Rephaim. And the garrison of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. The Philistines are basically everywhere. And David is taking refuge with his mighty men in this cave of Adullam, which is about 12 miles south southwest of Bethlehem. 
And the Philistines control the whole territory between the cave and Bethlehem. That's what you got to remember. And one day David is saying, man, if I could just have a taste of that water from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. Mmm, so good. You know, you ever remember something? You know, you, you th you've moved, maybe, and you remember, man, I used to love... I remember I used to live in England, and my mom used to make these things called Yorkshire pudding. They don't have Yorkshire pudding in the United States, and I think, man, mm, that would be great if Yorkshire pudding or chocolate-covered digestive biscuits. Mmm, I just love those dark chocolate, especially covered digestive biscuits. They were the best, but they don't have them over here. Well, you know, if one day I said to my friend, hey, you know what, I really miss digestive biscuits. I know they sound horrible, but they really are awesome. And I say, hey, I miss digestive biscuits. And my friend hops on a plane and flies all the way to England, gets me some digestive biscuits, and brings them back. I'd be like, wow, you are the greatest of greatest of great friends ever. Why you didn't take me with you, I don't know. Or why you didn't just order them through Amazon, that's the other thing. But still, this is what happened here. These three men, Josheb, Eliezer, and Shammah, they hear David say, man, I miss that great water that used to come from that one well in here, Bethlehem. I would love to have that. It was hot. This took place in the summertime, and David was exhausted, and things were dry, and he was thirsty, and he just, it wasn't a command, he just longingly remembered the fresh water from that spring. Well, these men decided to go those 12 miles, and it says they burst through the camp of the Philistines. And they burst through the line, probably there in the valley of Raphaim, and they, they fought men along the way, and then they snuck through maybe another camp and burst through that until they got to Bethlehem. And it says they drew the water out of this beautiful spring, and then they bring it back. And that blows my mind. You know, how in the world do you get all this water back? Well, they probably put it in goat bags where you would drink out of it. Maybe they turned them in little shoulder bags, and they each had two to four full of water. And they brought them all back, and again, they fought men on the way, and they fought all the way back through those 12 miles, and they present the water to David. Can you imagine what David must have thought? Wow! I can't believe you risked your lives just to get me water. I am undeserving. And then he pays them the greatest honor he could pay them. He didn't drink it. Now, to me, the greatest honor would be for David to drink it. But no, he says, you know what? I'm going to pay you the greatest honor by not drinking this water. Instead, I'm going to offer it to the Lord as a sacrifice. And so he pours this water out before the Lord. And I wonder if some of them are thinking, wow, that's such good water. No, they weren't thinking that. They were thinking, thank you. That's how meaningful it is to you that you would offer this as a great sacrifice to the Lord? And it says there, these things the three mighty men did. These were the best, the top three. They helped establish David's throne. Then came the next three, where you have Abishai, the brother of Joab, 
And it says, he took a spear and fought 300 men. And it says that he was the most renowned of the rest of them. He took a spear and fought 300 men. Josheb fought 800 with a spear. But hey, 300 isn't bad. Then of the next three comes Benaniah, or Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada. And it says he was a valiant man. And, and it says he struck down two aerials of Moab. Now, the interesting thing is this. We have no clue what those aerials were. We have no clue. Nobody knows what that word means. They've looked it up. We have no clue what he fought. So in my head, when he fights an aerial, he's fighting giants. And he took on two of them. Then I'm thinking flying giants. I don't know. I'm just kidding. But he struck down two of them. And these aerials were scary enough that the writer wrote it down. And hey, everybody knew Benaiah. Remember when he took on those two aerials, whatever those freaky monsters were? But it does say he also jumped down into a pit and fought a lion in the middle of the snow. I can just imagine the snow is falling there in Israel and the men are trying to fight and they hear a lion in a pit. Maybe they're slipping and sliding. One slid into the pit and the lion... So in jumps Benaiah. And he fights the lion in the middle of a slippery, messy snow. Kills him. And then it says he struck down an Egyptian, a handsome man. Which to me is odd. I don't know why the Bible says this Egyptian that Benaiah defeated was a handsome man. I think basically it means he was tough. He was strong. He was memorable. Well, this Egyptian had a spear in his hand, and Benaiah comes towards him with just a staff, probably a long stick, maybe as tall as him, but this handsome Egyptian had a spear much taller than him with a big metal thing at the end where he could easily destroy Benaiah, but Benaiah with just a staff, with just a staff, comes up to him and snatches the spear out of the Egyptian's hand. How do you do that? I can imagine they're coming together, the Egyptian holding his spear and Benaiah holding his staff, and then he bonk hits him on the head. Ow, that hurt. He lets go of the spear. Benaiah gets it, kicks him in the shin, and then, oh, it says he kills him with his own staff. Benaiah wasn't scared of anybody. He'd take them all on. And then of the bottom of the three, his name was Asahel. He was the brother of Joab, and so is Abishai. And he was part of that top three. And then came the rest, Elahanan, Shama, Elika, Helez, Ira, Abiezar, and on and on. And he, in total, he lists 35 men who fought with him. These are the mighty men of renown that we still talk about today. Now notice, it talks about Abishai and Asahel, both brothers of Joab, but it never mentions Joab. Which I think is interesting. I think they didn't mention Joab as a mighty man, even though he fought all the battles with David, because either... The writer knew he was the general. He was sort of the head of them all, and everybody knew who Joab was. Or 
what I think it was David's last jab at Joab. You didn't listen to me. You were a bad man, Joab. I'm not going to include you in my list of mighty men. But either way, to be listed as one of David's mighty men, I just think what an honor. And all the way at the bottom of the list, the last one mentioned, but rightly so, is Uriah the Hittite. Now, do you remember him? David lists him as one of his mighty men, even though he's the one David had killed so he could have a sinful relationship with Bathsheba. But David still includes him here because he was worthy of that honor. I just think, wouldn't it be great to be known as one of the mighty men of God? To be on this list, we'd like to expand it today. The mighty men and women of God. And I think what an honor for these men to be listed amongst David's top men. Of all the hundreds of thousands of Israelites who fought for him, these were the top 35 to 37. These were it. And then to be amongst the top, top three. You know, what made him great? Following the right person makes all the difference, right? You can go into battle against a lot of big foes if you know the person you're following is of character and is doing the right thing. And David began this whole passage with a poem that was God. David was following the right God. David was a Yahweh loyalist and only him was he going to follow. And in his energy and his excitement and his joy in following Yahweh, these other men said, I want to follow David. I think that's the great thing here. It's probably the one lesson we have to learn. If you want to be a leader of men or a leader of women or a leader of people, one of the basic foundational things you've got to learn is, I have got to follow God. I've got to follow him first. I've got to put him first, and I've got to follow him with energy and integrity and joy. And guess who might follow? Other men and women of integrity and brilliance and talent. But it all starts by saying, I am going to be a man after the heart of God, and I'm going to follow him no matter what. Thank you for listening to Baldhead Bible Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. You can comment on our Facebook page or email us at baldheadbible at gmail.com. If you would like to support this podcast, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash baldheadbible. Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life. New episodes added every week.